You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome to the Health Hub on Radio Maria Canada, exploring cutting-edge health and wellness information and therapies, helping you to take your health to the next level. I am your host, Kathy Biasse, and I'm a holistic nutritionist and a professional cancer coach. On today's show, we are discussing protein and its relationship to muscle synthesis, health and aging with Dr. Donald Lehman. Whether dietary protein has a net positive or negative impact on aging is hotly debated, making it confusing for us to get a handle on what our daily intake of this macro should be, both in absolute value and with respect to the other macros. Added to the conversation, the importance of lean muscle mass for overall health and longevity is key for healthy aging, making the need for a clear direction on protein in our diet imperative. Dr. Donald Lehman is Professor Emeritus in the Department of Food Science and Human Nutrition at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. He is internationally recognized for his research about dietary protein and amino acids. Dr. Lehman has extensive research focused on muscle development and in studies of metabolic regulation for obesity, diabetes, and cardiovascular disease. He is widely sought as keynote speaker at professional meetings, medical conferences, and as consultant to major food companies. This is an information-packed show about protein, lean muscle mass, the development of it. We talk about the function of protein, how much should we be aiming for daily, and what is the ideal macro ratio, why it's essential to develop and maintain muscle health as we age. So many very interesting and relevant topics. Stay tuned with us. We will be back in just a few minutes to speak with Dr. Lehman. You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back to our program, everybody. This show has been recorded, so no opportunity for calling in, unfortunately. Please do follow us on our social sites. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and we are at the Health Hub RMC on those locations. Dr. Lehman, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm pleased to be with you, Kathy. We just talked off air for a little second there. And I, you know, we're talking about protein. I have so many questions. Um, but I think maybe the best way for us to start to bring sort of everybody on that same page is maybe you could tell us, you know, about your research, you know, why you, you delve into protein. Um, and, and give us the basics. What is protein and, you know, why do we need it? 
Yeah. Um, so starting from a you know ten thousand foot view, mm. um, protein is one of the macronutrients: protein, carbohydrates, and fat. Uh, protein is actually really the only essential one. The other two, carbohydrate and fat, are just really for energy. A little bit of fat we require for cell membranes and things. But protein is the only essential one. And I like to always tell people that we get hung up on protein, but protein is actually a food source. And my favorite analogy is, um, is a vitamin pill. Uh, people might take a vitamin pill, but we don't have a requirement for the pill. We have a requirement for the 14 vitamins that are inside of it. And protein is similar. We really don't actually have any requirement for protein. What we have is a requirement for the 20 amino acids inside of it, nine of which are essential. We have to have them every day in our diet. So uh, protein is a food delivery system to get us these essential amino acids. Now, these essential amino acids are, you know, freshman nutrition. We learned they're the building blocks for new protein in the body, but they do lots of other metabolic things that we could get into. And, and I study that protein turnover part, but I also study a lot of the other metabolic parts. So uh, that's kind of a brief overview. Um, I think probably the one of the biggest things that we've learned uh, in the last 20 years about protein is we always knew that growing children needed protein. But what we've really realized in the last 20 years is that adults, as we get older, have just as much if more, not more need. So that aging process, we become less efficient with dietary protein. So we actually need more of it to keep us healthy. So I, I'll just sort of start with that. You know, I think that's the biggest issue. Uh, I'll just add one other thing is that, you know, the, the body, each of us have to make 250 to 300 grams of new protein in our body every day. Uh, the, the, a growing child actually only makes about five grams of new protein. So it's this protein turnover process that really drives our need for protein. And whether you're 16 or 65, you have this big need to repair and replace protein every day. And I, I think that's really what's changed our view of protein in the last 20 years. Well, I think, you know, just from me in my nutrition space, um, you know, 10 years ago or so, there was a, a maximum protein value you should have. Too much protein was not good. I mean, we've sat, we've cycled through the macros, hitting each of them for, uh, you know, fat was not good, carbs are not good, and now protein we're talking about here. Um, is too much protein bad? What is is that a, the biggest myth you find? Um, a a too much protein is going to harm you. Bad for the kidneys. I mean, I've heard it all. Um, and protein yeah. is oh, you know, I think p- people only think protein is. A lot of people have this idea that is protein is muscle building, and yeah. and it's limited in that space. Can you give us your thoughts on how that progression has happened over the last twenty years as well? Yeah, so a lot of things to unfold there. Uh, carbohydrate and fat, um, do they have an upper limit? Um, the issue is their energy sources. So we have to limit calories at some level. Uh, carbohydrates, uh, the, the reality is fats were always demonized. Uh, mm-hmm. And the reality is we the body likes using fat. 
the body would prefer that as our fuel. So uh, there's been kind of a re-looking at fat. Carbohydrates, on the other hand, in the United States, uh, our daily need for carbohydrates is about 130 grams per day. And the average, you know, U.S. Americans eating nearly 300. So we're eating three times. And, and that's really one of the driving forces for obesity, but also diabetes. Um, the protein aspect, you're right. I mean, people have always wanted to sort of have an upper limit. Uh, one of the things to recognize is the RDA, Recommended Dietary Allowance, is considered the absolute minimum amount. That's not the optimum. It's not the maximum. It's the minimum. Uh, the actual definition is it's the minimum amount of protein to keep a young, healthy, physically active male to not show any signs of deficiency. So you think, well, who does that actually fit? Almost nobody. <laughs> uh, what we now know is far as, far as the aging, is that the optimum level is above that. Um, our National Academy of Sciences in 2003 established what are called the dietary reference intakes. And so for every nutrient, we know there's a range. Uh, and for protein, uh, that range goes from the RDA, the minimum of 0.8 grams per kg, up to around 2.5 grams per kg. So there's really a big range there. Uh, in the United States, the average intake is right around 0.9 to 1. So we're well to the bottom of the healthy range. And you mentioned some of the myths. The idea that protein damages the kidney is totally a myth. Uh, if you have advanced kidney failure, then one of the things you have to control are things like salts and protein. Uh, the other myth is that protein causes bone damage. That's also a myth. Protein actually improves bone health. Um, uh, so there's just, you know, protein causes aging or cancer. Or all of those are actually myths, um, you know, driven by a lot of different political influences, but definitely not true. Of all the macros, this is the one that seems to cause the most confusion with people. And just in the range there that you gave us, how would we, as the average Joe, land on what you would recommend is the ratio of protein we should have in our diet? So I personally uh, like to target about 1.5 grams per kg here. Do your, the Canadian listeners think in terms of kilograms body weight or pounds? Uh, kilogram. Kilograms. Okay. So 1.5 grams per kg uh, body weight, uh, ideal body weight is what I like to target. Uh, most of the researchers would say it's, be, you know, you should target between 1.2 and 1.8 grams per kg. So that's probably the healthy range, which again, is about double what we mm -hmm. consider the minimum RDA. So that's what I target. Uh, I also have sort of a target of amount. I like to think, th one of the things I like to try to convince people is protein is an absolute amount. When you start your developing a diet or thinking how you should eat, you need to decide on how much protein you want to eat. If you want to be a vegetarian and eat 65 grams per day, that's okay, but that has certain liabilities and certain things you have to do. If you want to be more like me and eat 110 or 120 grams per day, 
that's okay. You need to think that through. How does that affect your diet? And if you want to be an athlete and eat 200 grams per day, that also works, but you have to think it through. You know, how do you construct the rest of your diet? So personally, I like to target 100 to 130 for almost all adults. Uh, and that seems to be a very healthy range for healthy aging, for bone health, for muscle health, but also for things like glycemic regulation, uh, you know, controlling your insulin, uh, appetite, uh, you know, all of those kinds of things. Does, uh, I'm going to ask this question without sounding um, crazy. Does the metabolic impact of protein flow through muscle synthesis? Does that make any sense? Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> I fact, wasn't sure if it would come out properly. Yeah, no, I, I I think I get what you're asking. And I think you're kind of leading into some of the things you've heard us, you know, my colleague, Gabrielle Lyon and mm-hmm. I say before, um, we believe that a lot of the health uh, aspects have been incorrectly focused. We think about heart disease and we think about your blood vessels. We think about diabetes and we think about your liver and your pancreas. Dr. Lyon and I both believe that adult health is what we call muscle-centric health. If your muscles are healthy, everything else kind of falls in line. Uh, I always like to think of the body really has two organs you have to protect, your muscle and your brain. Everything else is regulatory. Everything else falls in line. So if you can keep your muscles healthy, Dr. Lehman, I think we may have lost contact with you. Participate in activities of daily life. You're... Oh, no. Oh, okay. We're back oh, now. We're back now. Back? We're back. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. So, you know, I was, I was saying that, you know, if you keep muscles healthy, uh, you, you have health, you have good mobility, you have, you can participate in activities of daily life, but it also corrects your metabolic activity. You use carbohydrates better. You have better insulin sensitivity. You use fatty acids, so your blood lipids are healthier. So if your muscles are healthy, uh, everything else seems to work better. So is the idea, um, the anti-aging idea, and and is it to build more muscle? Uh, and this is this is sort of the underlying foundation of the anti-aging process. Yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 I always hesitate to use the word build more muscle because people will say, well, I don't want to be muscle bound. Uh, I think the way to think about it is that once we get to about 40, we begin to begin a sort of downward decline of, of muscle and bone health and things that we call aging. And so what we want to do is keep muscle healthy to at least blunt that decline, if not sort of flatten it out. So uh, if you want to work really hard, you can get muscle building, muscle hypertrophy. But what we're really trying to do is keep your 40-year-old muscle healthy into your 70s. And we do that through resistance training and exercising and supplying the body with the the fuel that it needs. Yeah, those are the absolute keys. Uh, protein and resistance exercise. So 
ideally, we would convince people to have, uh, you know, a healthy carb, a healthy protein level with their other calories under control. That healthy protein level would be around 1.5 grams per kg. And then we would like them to do three days a week of some type of resistance exercise. Um, these two things are additive. Uh, what we know from the average American, you know, the average U.S. citizen is that most of them don't want to do resistance exercise. Mm -hmm. So, you know, resistance exercise, uh, you know, if you look at the two together, resistance exercise uh, is probably the more dominant of two, but the least likely for people to do. Uh, protein is something that we can all do, uh, just correcting our diet, particularly even correcting how we eat it during the day, what's our distribution, uh, simple things like that. So ideally we do both, but you know, you Let's, certainly need to do one or the other. Well, I mean, and resistance training doesn't mean you've got to do, uh, you know, heavy, heavy weights. You want to stress I, the muscles out. Exactly. And when yeah, I'm talking uh, to people about getting them into sort of any type of, you know, carry bags up the stairs, it, it's exactly. a place to start. It's a place to yeah. start. Walking stairs, getting up in, up and out of a chair, things you can do at home, uh, you know, a sit-up, a push-up, whatever. Uh, you can go to the gym. Some people like me like to go to gyms. Uh, other people might prefer yoga or Pilates. The issue for resistance exercise is really stretch stretching against a resistance. So, you know, you can you can do an isometric exercise against the wall in your house uh, and get a stretch resistance exercise. So, you know, it doesn't have to be heavy weight. Uh, I was with a colleague from Canada just uh, two days ago in Boston, Stu Phillips, who you may very well know. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the great things he shows is that uh, Resistance exercise is an issue of volume, and I'll just illustrate that by you could you could uh, lift five pounds twenty times and get the exact same effect as lifting fifty pounds two times. It's a hundred pounds of weight, and it's the volume that you listed. So we what we now know is you can lift lighter weights or do lighter things but do more repetition and you'll get the same effect as the big weightlifter who went into the gym and lifted 200 pounds and i think this is an important message to get out to people um because again we've got protein and people associated with bulky muscles and how many times have you heard trainers saying you know load up on the protein as soon as you finished exercising and i think we we need to shift that ideology um you mentioned something i want to get this in before break because i have a, a whole plethora of things i want to ask you after um yeah. the distribution of protein is it okay to have the bulk of your protein at dinner where I, I imagine most people would here in North America? Yeah. Um, we have shown that that's a less efficient thing to do. So what we now know is that there's a minimum threshold at a meal where you really get a benefit in your muscles. If, if you take in a small meal, 10 or 15 grams of protein, your liver and your intestinal tract will use those amino acids, and, and they're fine, but your muscle seems to require something above 30 grams to really trigger all of the mechanisms of protein synthesis. So we now know that that range is from about 30 to maybe 55. 
So a lot of U.S., Amer- you know, probably North Americans in general, eat a lot of their protein at dinner and very little at the first meal. What we and other gr- groups have now shown is that moving some of that protein to the first meal of your, of the day has a huge benefit in terms of the efficiency of using protein. A uh, colleague, Doug Patton-Jones, and I did a study where we looked at uh, into adults consuming 90 grams per day, uh, but the one group was eating it like Americans do all at dinner. 60 grams of it was at dinner and only 10 at breakfast. And what we showed is that if we just reduce, distributed that 30 to breakfast, 30 at dinner, 30 at lunch, what we did with, uh, for, with the same protein got about a 20% increase in muscle uh, protein synthesis. So just by shifting the distribution. And again, we think that the major effect is shifting it to that first meal when you're coming out of an overnight fast. And we can go into that in detail if you'd like, but your, your body is very, what we call catabolic. It's breaking down its muscle while you're sleeping. And when you wake up in the morning, you're what we call catabolic. And until you have a meal that contains 30 or more grams of protein, you continue breaking it down. And we think that's part of the negative process of aging. Interesting. You know, people fight eating breakfast in the morning. And then we've got this idea of intermittent fasting um, and windows of eating. And it's very complicated to try and hammer that out. Um, You know, let's just take a a break here now. I I don't want to ask something that's going to, you know, push you to to the limits here so let's take a break now everyone we'll be back in just a couple of minutes to carry on our conversation here you are listening to the health hub here on radio maria canada a catholic voice wherever you are to contact us and be a part of the show email thh at radiomaria.ca we now continue with the program here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back to our program, everybody. We're talking with Dr. Don Lehman. We're going to go down a path here that I think needs to be elucidated. Um, Dr. Lehman, the importance of muscle is not just for structural benefit. Um, the metabolic piece that you are so um, highly invested in is also something that needs to be discussed. Can you give us... Uh, you know, the relationship between healthy muscle development and why this is so important for preventing illness. Yeah, the, I mean, muscle is involved in every part of our metabolism. Um, let's start with protein turnover, <clears throat> which we mentioned before. So the muscle is continuously making new protein, and this is a pretty expensive process. Some of the estimates are that um, protein turnover may burn 25% of our energy per day. Um, We did an experiment actually doing it with animals, but we did an experiment where we were looking at uh, exhaustive running versus protein breakfast. And what we found was that a high protein breakfast burns the same amount of calories as an hour of running. I mean, people need to think about that. Just having a high-protein breakfast burns the same amount of calories as an hour of running. That's that's pretty remarkable. Um, If we go to the next step and think about fuels, 
the primary fuel of muscle, of skeletal muscle, is actually fatty acids. So a lot of people will have abnormal blood lipids. Uh, they might have high triglycerides or they might have abnormal LDL. Uh, muscle is the primary tissue in our body that actually uses these fatty acids. So it's the way we burn it. The other fuel is carbohydrates. And people get really confused about carbohydrates. Uh, I like to sort of frame that for everybody. The body has uh, an absolute need for some carbohydrates, blood sugar called glucose. Uh, the brain absolutely requires that, our red blood cells, our kidneys. And we can add those up, and we actually have an RDA for carbohydrates of 130 grams per day. Uh, what I like to tell people is that for every gram of carbohydrate you eat above 130, you have to burn them in the muscle. And that's exercise. So we tell people that for base, the range for muscle to burn carbohydrates is about 40 to 70 grams per hour depending on the intensity of exercise. So if you do a really intense exercise like running, you can burn about 60 grams per hour. So the average U.S., you know, average Americans eating nearly 300 grams per day. So that means to not gain too much carbohydrate, to not become overweight, obese. They need to have three hours of intense exercise per day. And mm -hmm. there are very few adults, at least in the U.S., doing that. So Within muscle, what we know is muscle regulates how we burn fat, fatty acids, and how we burn carbohydrates. And that relates to both protein in terms of protein synthesis, how, you know, how much energy you use there, and also exercise. So muscle is kind of this grand central station for how we burn calories. And if we take it a step further... Um, we can talk about insulin resistance, inflammation, and how muscle can be a big player in, you know, down-regulating inflammation and chronic disease. Is that too big of a step? No, no, no. Um, people get hung up on inflammation or what causes it. They, probably the single biggest cause of inflammation is too many carbs and high insulin. Insulin is very inflammatory. Um, we kind of have all grown up with the idea that insulin regulates blood glucose, blood sugar. The reality is, is insulin is a fail-safe. Uh, we did not, humans did not evolve to be exposed to a lot of uh, simple sugars, a lot of uh, refined carbohydrates. And so when we expose our body continuously to too many carbohydrates, insulin then is forced to try and get rid of it. It forces it into glycogen, but that's very limited. And so then it has to force it in the body to make fats from it. Uh, that whole process becomes less and less sensitive and the body becomes insulin insensitive. Uh, we, we see that in what we call prediabetes, metabolic syndrome. Uh, you start having high blood triglycerides, you get blood pressure problems, you know, all of those kinds of things. And then eventually we can get actually type 2 diabetes. So most people now understand that with type 2 diabetes, muscle is really the beginning. Uh, if muscle is unhealthy, if you're exposing muscle to more carbohydrates than it can use for exercise, we will become insensitive. 
uh, less and less sensitive to insulin. Are people understanding this? No, I know that this is what you're trumpeting with Dr. Lyon yourself, um, this research, this muscle-centric way of thinking. Are people starting to understand, or is this still something that is out there for a lot? I think it's still out there. I think mm-hmm. that I think the medical community is resisting it. It's it's contrary to what they've taught. Uh, if you go back to the late seventies, people were actually teaching medical students. You know, doctors were actually saying that, well, just take more insulin. You know, you can have a seventy percent carb diet, just take more insulin. We now know that's highly inflammatory. It's very dangerous to the body. Um, I think that people are beginning to get it. But again, there's a lot of, if you look at the pressures out there uh, in dietary guidelines, there's a lot more political pressure to sell carbohydrates than there is to sell protein. And so People resist it. They don't want to hear that. Uh, and, you know, while there's a lot of information about carbohydrates in the science, it has not translated well into medical thinking. Well, again, this is all part of what uh, we're trying to do here at the Health Hub is trying to give all of the people that listen to the show another method of holding on to their own health. And this really is, you know, it's a lifestyle way of living. Um, and it's something that, you know, we need to take control of. You said something there, and I've it, it just had a question that was popping out of my head, and it's it's left me now. But let's go to um, let's go to another question that I think is important. What are the best sources of protein? Yeah, and, and, and I'll, before I actually answer that, you know, I don't want people to get the impression that I'm anti-carbs or anti-fat mm-hmm. or, you know, I, I, I'm all about a balanced diet. I don't think we should be extreme in anything, whether it's protein, carbohydrates, or fat, either high or low. I'm about balance, but I'm about what the body can actually use, you know, and how do we use it? So, you know, that's the way uh, I think about protein. What can the body actually use successfully? And that's why I come up with 1.5 grams per kg. As far as the sources of it, what we know is that animal proteins have a higher uh, have a, a higher quality of essent- those nine essential amino acids than plant proteins. It's important for people to realize that uh, basically every protein out there contains all of the amino acids, both the essential and non-essential. But plants have it for the plant's sake. They don't have amino acids for humans. They have it because they need to grow leaves and stems and flowers and roots. And those are pretty different than brains and hearts and pancreases and muscles. And so they're just not the same. So every animal protein has the right balance and every plant protein has an imbalance. And so it doesn't mean you can't use it. We've been doing a lot of protein quality research lately, actually, just published a new paper in Journal of Nutrition, and we've been doing some modeling experiments. And one of the things that we realize is right now in the United States, our average protein based on our national surveys is about 80 grams per day, and we get about 65% of that from animal protein. The question is, if you shift to a more plant-based diet, if you shift to a more vegetarian diet, how do you change that? 
One of the things we know for absolute certainty is the more vegetarian you become, the lower your protein intake. So from 80 grams, we know that tends to go down to about 60, 65, uh, women, maybe even 50s. Um, so quant quantity goes down. And as you shift from animal to plant protein, the quality also goes down. So what we've seen in our modeling experiments is based on the patterns that we see in the United States, if you get below 50% of your protein coming from animal protein, you're almost impossible to meet your essential amino acid requirements. And so that's why we don't see, you know, vegetarians tend to get less healthy as they get older, because as we get into this aging process and we become less efficient, the, the amount of your essential amino acids becomes more and more important. And it just becomes really hard. So, you know, if you're going to become a vegetarian, you have to eat a lot more protein to get those essential amino acids. So you have to eat even more protein than somebody who's more animal protein oriented. And, and most vegetarians don't understand that. Well, this is a real shaking of the head for a lot of people because we have the last 15, 20 years have really moved towards a plant-based diet. Um, and that's sort of the, the bell that's been uh, chimed is this plant-based diet. But to break it down onto a plate, um, if we talk about a piece of chicken and you're trying to get 30 grams of protein at each meal, how much does, say, a quarter to a half a cup of chicken give you in protein so that people kind of can imagine in their heads that this is not a, a, a whack load of animal protein that they need? Yeah. Um, uh, so, again, uh, I think in terms of ounces in the U.S., do you okay. guys think in, do you use ounces? You use grams, right? Uh, uh, so, the younger uh, ones, I kind of flip back between both of them. Okay, so so – one ounce of meat, whether it's chicken or or pork or beef, contains about seven grams of protein. So again, if we're talking about that 30 gram target, basically you need about four ounces. So that's just over a hundred grams. Which so is not, not a lot. A lot. No. It's not a lot. Uh, and you know, the 30 grams can be a mixture. So most people don't eat, you know, chicken breast all by itself. It comes with, you know, a salad or, or something else. And so you, it's easy to get a mixture. Uh, and like I said, most adults in the United States are getting about a 65, 35 mixture. Uh, so it's, it's pretty easy to get the 35 grams of protein. If you have some animal protein in your diet, if your diet is 100% beans and lentils, now you start getting into a real problem because the carbohydrate to protein ratio then is a, can be three to one or four to one. So if you're trying to get to 100 grams of protein with beans, you're going to end up eating 400 grams of carbohydrates and you mm -hmm. can't tolerate that. So the issue is how do you get enough of the essential amino acids? One, one of the examples I always like using is a wheat cereal. Uh, a popular one uh, in the U.S. anyway is Raisin Bran, uh, which is a you know, popular cereal. You look on the label uh, and it says it has four grams of protein. And then next to it, it says in the next column, you should you know, put six ounces of milk on it. And that gives you 10 grams of total 
six ounces of milk has has six grams of protein. That gives you uh, 10 grams total, and it's exactly complementary. The weaknesses in the wheat, lysine and methionine, amino acids, are made up by the milk, so six ounces. But what if I switch to soy milk? Well, it takes over 20 ounces of soy milk to, com to make that complementary. And very few adults know that. They see the word milk and they think, well, soy milk or almond milk or coconut milk are all equal. Well, they're not equal at all. It takes vastly more of those to try and make a complimentary breakfast. And so, you know, if a, if a mother's giving their child, uh, you know, a wheat cereal for breakfast and they think they're being good about giving them a plant-based milk, they're actually incredibly damaging that child's ability to build muscle and, and grow. Boy, a lot of people are going to be shaking their heads uh, listening to this because honestly, uh, the last few years, uh, as I've kept saying, this is so different from what has been preached, you know, staying yeah. away mean, from dairy. The yeah. The narrative, the narrative is out there. You're, your comment about the shift in the United States, less than 5% of the people population are vegetarian. Uh, so it's really not shifting diet consumption patterns very much in the United States. The risk is where it shows up is that because it's a government mandate, uh, it shows up in school lunch. It shows up in nursing homes and daycare centers and mm -hmm. hospitals. Every place that gets government support has to follow these guidelines, and it's totally unhealthy. Uh, and you know we're we're struggling. We're we're beginning to get some cracks in that armor about balance and about uh, protein quality, but there's a huge amount of resistance, uh, particularly from the food industry. Uh, who wants to sell cheap grains. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that popped into my head, because, you know, for me too, it's been a transition, you know, listening to to you and your work, Dr. Lyons' work, it's, um, it's a process. And for women, especially, especially the first meal of the day, to try yeah. and get 30 grams of protein in. Um, a lot of women aren't hungry in the morning. I, and I'm not saying exactly. every woman, but a lot of women I speak with are not hungry first thing in the morning. We've got the intermittent fasting piece that seems to be um, in a lot of people's minds. And that first meal of the day is so important. Where can yeah. we start hey, here? Yeah. So, you know, I have slowly shifted from the, using the word breakfast to first meal. Okay. Uh, and so, you know, I understand that issue of, you know, I think the older we get, the closer to when we wake up that first meal should be. I think it's a, I think it's just from a health standpoint, but you know, if you can't do it, uh, you, you know, if you don't want to do it at seven or eight in the morning, uh, your first meal, if it's 11 in the morning, it's still your first meal. And that meal needs to be high protein. So, you know, if you want to do time-restricted eating and eat between whatever, 11 and 5 or 12 and 6, uh, I'm okay with that. But that first meal, whenever it occurs, needs to be high protein. It certainly shouldn't be a donut or a bagel or, or a Tim Hortons or whatever. <laughs> so we, we snack a lot. Um, and yeah. 30, 30 grams per meal. Um, and, 10... and my first comment is no human has any need for snacking unless you're playing intense tennis. 
Okay. <laughs> okay. So, okay. That just blows that question. Out. Cause I was going to say, can we divide that 30 grams into, especially in the morning into smaller chunks up to midday? 100% no. Okay. Okay. So that 30 grams and why it's 30 is based on an amino acid called leucine. And what my research group discovered back in the late 90s is this amino acid is a specific signal to muscle. It basically, um, through some relatively complex metabolism we don't need to go into, uh, it appears in the blood almost exactly in proportion to what you eat. You know? And the muscle then senses that as saying, okay, here's a meal that has enough protein in it, we can trigger muscle protein synthesis. And it's through a mechanism we call mTOR. Mm -hmm. uh, but basically, leucine has to increase in the blood about threefold. It has to go from around 100, whatever, micrograms from per milliliter up to about 300. Uh, so it has to increase quite a lot. If you spread that protein out over a long time period, it'll never increase. So your 30 grams becomes useless. So what, not only do you need to have 30 grams, but you need to eat it within 15 to 20 minutes or so. Interesting. Otherwise, you know, so when you have a bigger meal like dinner and you sit around and you eat for an hour, that meal probably should be more like 55 because you're not you're not taking it in quickly. You're you're leisurely eating it. So now and it's also complicated by the fact that it has fiber in the meal and fat. And so it slows down the absorption. When we talk about 30 grams of protein in the morning, we're talking about something like a protein shake or eggs and, and Canadian bacon. We're talking about high intense, you know, much more concentrated protein forms that you'll digest quickly and gets into your blood quickly. So you definitely can't space it out. The, the worst of all worlds is eating lots of small meals throughout the day, snacking. That's the absolute worst possible metabolic outcome. Okay, that's, you know, that's a whole lot of information in the last few minutes of the show, because that's, that's new to me, I would have thought that we could have spaced out in the morning, because I know that people do have a hard time putting a plate together in the morning of that much protein. But, yeah. you know, we can work and on that's it. a, you know, that whole thing comes from a carbohydrate. Thing. Yes, if it does. If you're vegetarian, you're, you're always hungry. So you need to eat a lot of snacks to keep that going. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to become protein centric, muscle centric, you need discrete meals with individual each meal sort of targeting that 30 grams or more. And again, it could be 55 at dinner, but you need the minimum threshold 30. And that's a big, that's a big ticket for a lot of people because it, it might seem like a lot of food. Um, but I, I eat, a, you know, I eat a protein shake. I mean, I, I personally have a website and we sell a protein shake as a meal replacement. And there are protein shakes out there uh, that you can get. Uh, you can get your 30 grams of protein with 200 calories. There are ways to do that, and you can eat it as you, you can drink it as you, you know, drive to work in the morning. Mm -hmm. uh, so there are ways to do it, uh, but it's really important. It's really important. Well, speaking of websites and how people can get in touch with you, um, I mean, you've got a plethora of research. Where is the best place to, to reach out to you or to see what you've done? Um, so I'm pretty visible if you just Google my name for research. So, you know, Donald Lehman is pretty easy to find. I have a, I have a website called metabolic 
transformation.com, which has a lot of information. You can also access our weight loss diet there. Uh, I'm on Twitter at, at Don Lehman. And uh, my, my university email is uh, dlayman at illinois.edu. I want to thank you so, so much pretty, for, for coming. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? You were very kind and very uh, generous with your time today. And, it, you know, I didn't have to go through hoops to get a hold of you. So, yes, Dr. <laughs> Lehman is very visible and very, you know, you can get a hold of him quite easily. Thank you so much for joining us. You've really... Um, if not, if for lack of anything else, opened a lot of people's eyes and, you know, give them a place to to go to for more information. So thank you so much for joining us today. You're you're welcome. My pleasure. And if you'd like to follow up, you get a lot of questions coming back. I'd be happy to chat again. Lovely. Everybody will talk to you next week on The Health Hub. have been listening to The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.